Welcome to Europe Canada Community, a place where you can learn and laugh together on your journey to Europe. Thanks for stopping by, and we hope you enjoy today's podcast. Today we want to talk about um, emotional resilience, and there's been an awful lot of work that's been done on this, but I think that some of the reading that I've done on emotional resilience for um, those who are in cultural transition it's a little bit special, it's a little more special, but the way that you take care of it and the way you take care of yourself is basically the same. So I think there's gonna be, um, there's gonna be some things that, a lot of things that you know, a lot of things you already know to do, but it's just that it's so important, you know, for you to um, be able to incorporate this into your all the time, not just, you know, in transition, but in the all the time of your missionary call. So I'm gonna shrink my little thing here. So if there's really cool conversations, I don't get to see them. So um, go ahead and interrupt me, Shannon, or anybody else if you have a comment and you wanna dive in. I'm more than delighted to see somebody to actually say it out loud, so thank you. So the whole point of the uh, idea of emotional resilience is putting in the investment now so that you get the big payout later on. And um, so resilience is that ability you know, for us to be able to cope positively with stress and negative events. So um, you're gonna have stress, there's no doubt about that. Um, it's gonna include, include the ability to bounce back. It's kind of like being that rubber band. It's not that you won't have trauma, it's not that things aren't going to happen, but it gives you the capacity to bounce back and not be completely devastated, you come back to that new normal and that healthy state after a negative event. And adaptability that uses the exposure to stress as a component to build additional hardness against future negative events. You know, when you talk about security, people talk about, you know, be, um, that we need to, as, as targets, we have to harden the target. So if we become more alert and we do all of these things then we become a hard target and in the sense that um, and in that same way that for emotion for um, emotional resilience that exposure to stress as long as it's not overwhelming then we just say nope that's just helping me know how to how to stretch how to adjust how to adapt how to know when to take rest to know um, what I need to do so that it really makes you um, much stronger so a normal missionary life includes three to five times more stress and three to ten times more stress than what the average North American experiences, or more crises, excuse me. So three to five times more stress and three to ten times uh, more crises than what the average North American experiences. So that shouldn't shock us or surprise us then, right, to learn that over half of and then get this, just over half of ministers and missionaries experience that in their career. So we have a lot more opportunities to either harden ourselves and become more resilient. That doesn't mean we lose our flexibility, but it does mean that we become more resilient um, or we can have uh, end up in that whole um, horrible sinkhole of what is, what is burnout. And we talk about wanting to avoid that, but it, we, it's, it, it really is a serious thing. Once you have experienced burnout, um, when you come back and when you, um, and it is a road back, 
and a journey back. And with God's grace, you come back. But you are a little more hesitant to commit. You're a little more hesitant to give because you really don't want to be in that really dark hole ever again. So um, if we can avoid that, it allows you to really just fully give in the way that God would have you to give and not feel that you have to live in a protected state. So the psychological ability to adapt or to deal with significant challenges or crises that come on in cross-cultural life. So being prepared and informed, knowing what's ahead, you know, that, that's always really helpful. We can't always know that. Nobody likes to be blindsided or disoriented by unexpected challenges. Um, it's really helpful if we can know they're coming and kind of steal ourselves and prepare. Um, Dr. Phil, yes, and I am going to quote Dr. Phil. I hate to admit it, but I am. Uh, he wrote a book called Real Life, Preparing for the Seven Worst Days of Your Life. And I thought it was really interesting. You know, the title was interesting enough that I actually read it. And I didn't think that all of it would be beneficial for you. But I think the concept of saying, hey, this is life. This is real life. Things happen. Things break. Things um, are put under stress. Relationships get stressed. People die. Things happen in our lives that are, um, are provoke either a crisis or an accumulation of stress. So by preparing for it, it actually gives us to be able to bounce back uh, once we come through it. I think that, um, I don't know if any of you read the uh, February um, K-mail from Keith Kidwell, but he actually talked about succession. And I thought, I, I actually wrote him a note and said, thank you, thank you, thank you for that. Because I think that it's very important. We don't, um, we are a little bit, um, fatalistic, they call us, you know, that we just kind of believe that everything's going to flow well. God does take care of us. He watches over us. And so, but there is this thing of not preparing or anticipating what challenges we may face. And um, he talks very specifically about the possibility of losing a spouse while you're on the field. And I don't think that's a conversation that you need to have, you know, when you're in your 60s. I think it's a conversation you need to have absolutely every term. Um, maybe it's because I'm uh, maybe it's because I'm a woman. I'm not sure, and it could be just because I really am. Uh, all of you have done the disc, and I'm a very high S, so I like a certain amount of security. And uh, but every every single uh, term, I have had a plan for if something happened to Craig, what would I do? And I, you know, prayerfully, and we talk, we would talk about it, pray about it. I would move into that plan, and then it became absolutely background. I didn't dwell on it. It wasn't something I thought about every day. But it should something have happened. Um, in each term, the plan was different because it was different. I either had small children or I had older children or I had no children or I had, you know, various things happening um, in the lives of family and in the United States, things that might make a decision a little bit different. There were times where I was absolutely determined I would be back in Europe, I would be serving, and, you know, God would help me to do that. Other times I felt my family, I, you know, would be the only caretaker provider for them. It was going to maybe be a little bit different. So I think having, again, what he's saying is talk about it, make those decisions, have those conversations, so that in the midst of the crisis, you're not having to make them. And I think that's really wise advice. So what we try to do here is give you a little bit of, uh, of a heads 
heads up as we can uh, about what's going to become your new normal um, so that as you look at your transition, the things that you're going to be facing, um, you, nobody freaks out. You know, it's just about saying, oh, well, they said it would be like this. They said this would be challenging, and it definitely is. And But you can say, yeah, it's normal. They said it would be like this, and you anticipate it. You can anticipate so that your expectations are in balance and you're managing your transition well. Um, in the, in the book, Emotional Resilience for Expats, there was a story of a, a woman newly married to a foreign man who had moved to his country. And she said this, if I had known how difficult it was to be going to be, I would have set up a network ahead of time. I would have had a plan about how to deal with homesickness, culture shock, depression, and identity crisis. If I was not so committed to my marriage, I would have quit after the first year. So I think that um, these things, what she's saying, what she is saying is that if she knew how hard it was going to be, she would have anticipated it and made a plan. And that would have made life much easier, much better. She still was going to have to negotiate that transition. But it was her, you know, her commitment to marriage that got her through that. But um, for us, it is often the call of God on our lives that gets us through, but if we can anticipate it ahead of time, if we can make those plans and have healthy expectations ahead of time, then we're better prepared, and so we can bounce back a little bit quicker. So, of emotional resilience. So that's the ability to sustain a trauma or the ability to work through a tough situation, um, the capacity to stand up under a season of stress. Um, it's not. This is not the idea of trying to do enough exercise emotionally so that you are so amazing that you can just do more. We're just trying to keep you healthy and um, so that you uh, will be able to live out the call that God has placed on your life. You'll be able to serve in out of your best self. You'll be able to be the best spouse that you can be. You'll be able to be the best mom or dad that you can be if you have children. And or you can be the best friend to those who are your friends if you don't have a spouse, that you can be the best person that God is calling you and growing you into. And um, so you're not walking um, through that calling being broken. So we all have the ability to increase those reserves. That's the best thing ever is that uh, is that we can increase those reserves and then we can draw upon them it's just like a bank account it's kind of amazing you know um to think that you can actually put this emotional bank account and put um, deposits in it and then when you need to you can if you need to pull for a big withdrawal you can do that and you can do that then without an emotional crash or without falling into the depression or burnout, um, uh, you're resilient and you're able to pull back. So um, some people are just naturally going to be better than others. Now you all are DISC people as well, so I'm going to just tell you, I think that there are some personalities and some behavioral styles that are going to do better at transition than others. And it's going to depend on so many different factors, on where you are, what kind of support you have, all of these kinds. There are many, many factors. But also there is the part of just our own humanity of who we are. You know, I already mentioned I'm a fairly high S. And so I really like to have 
things start falling apart, the C, my need for process and my need for details really rises. So um, that um, knowing that about myself helps me know maybe a little bit more of what I need. And I think for those who are, um, you know, if you happen to be a high I, then you need to have lots of affirmation and all of a sudden your affirmation gets absolutely sucked away because the people around you, they don't know you, you don't have language. So it's uh, it's a very hard piece for a high eye to lose and uh, where it isn't maybe somebody else who is is not in that particular behavioral style. So um, for those who are in the high D, you tend to want to just push on through and sometimes you just have to be able to, to, to lean back. So I think that every single unique um, challenges, um, and some of you are just naturally better at emotional resilience because of your history and what you have walked through with. But we have to cultivate the, these reserves into our emotional bank account. We have to do it over time. You can't just do it all in one day, so it's going to all work out really well for you. So. What depletes those emotional reserves <clears throat> in cross-cultural cross transition? So several things. And um, so first of all, it's going to be those things that you have little control over. And it's kind of amazing to me, the things that you don't have control over um, when you first come into a new culture. So many things that are just, um, they're different, they're unique, you're having to adjust them to them, you're having to learn them, and you don't have any control over it. It's all been decided before you ever got there. And so it's really um, a, an adjustment, you know, uh, that is, is probably for me at least, that's one of the harder things is just that sense of things being a little bit out of control until it all begins to make more sense. The and the continual change. So all of those things for those of us who like security and don't like change, that continual shifting and changing until you learn it and it becomes a rhythm for you that's healthy and normal, um, is like a, it's like a little bit of a draining on your account every single day. The loss of your identity is hard for everybody and when you are in a culture, even if it is English speaking, your identity is unique and different. Um, than in, a, in another country. It's not the same if you are an American going to the UK, you're still gonna lose that sense of loss of identity and it's gonna take time to build relationships to where you can actually um, feel that you are known. And that's very, uh, very important to us in our, in our emotional health. The loss of our sense of belonging. This is, these are rattling some of the very primal things within us is that loss of who I am and the loss of belonging. What's my place and how do I fit here? That's a real, that sense of loss of your sense of home. I think initially, um, especially that sense of losing home. Home is where you're at ease. Home is where you, you know, um, I don't know, you put on, put on sweats, you put on your yoga pants, you put on whatever is comfortable and you don't care and nobody cares and you know maybe you sit and eat in front of the TV and you just do whatever because you're just, it's like I'm home and I am at ease. And that's also that sense of home of this is, I know how to do this in this culture, I know how to be here and it's all background. And that just simply takes time to be able to develop it. And all of these things are just little, little, um, little opening in your faucet that just keep opening your faucet of your emotional reserves so it is a constant continual 
small dream. I think it's also the cumulative challenges. It's the little injustices that take their toll. Um, it's like being yelled at for um, you're not understanding normal cultural cues. It's having your change practically you didn't do it right or because you gave them a large bill and nobody's supposed to do that and you should know that. Being responsible, being held uh, uh, for American politics, boy, um, that's a real hot one right now. People stepping all over your concept of what is rude or what is polite. It's being judged for what you can't possibly know. And um, you have to be able to reconcile all of those injustices with God because it's any one of them is not a big deal. Any one of them is anything at all. But what happens is everything on, on, that you see on, the, on your screen, that loss of control, the constant change, loss of identity, sense of belonging, home, and then all those little injustices. Now the faucet is getting open wider and wider and your emotional reserves are being more significantly challenged. There are some things that deplete your emotional reserves that you can control and that's fantastic. So let's go to work on those. So isolation. If you allow yourself to be isolated and do not have relationships and do not fight to have good relationships, and I say fight in the sense of, of making great effort, um, that is one of the things that will continue to uh, really drain your emotional reserves. So, you know, social isol isolation will just lead you right down a path to burnout. Um, it's critical. Socialization is absolutely critical to emotional resilience. So no matter what your personality type is, whether you're introvert or extrovert, you need relationships. And it says you need at least three close or intimate friends. That takes time, my friends. That takes time when you come into a new culture. Um, we've been here in um, we've been here in Catalonia uh, as a return now for about two years. And I would have to say, other than friends that I made when I was here for 14 years, I don't have any close friends really in the town where I live. These things take time. I'm beginning to have significant relationships where it's talking about the weather, hello, and everything is really shallow, where you actually begin to have intimacy with people, and that really takes time. And it's not fair. You can't truly expect your spouse, if you have a spouse, to meet all of your social needs. If you're single, this challenge becomes even greater because you don't have at least even a partner maybe in your home to where you can vent and share and um, help relieve some of the social uh, challenges that, that come up for you. So it's really important to decide even now what amount of Skype, Facebook, and other um, social media tools are, are going to be helpful for you. Because you do need to be able to disengage from the United States in order to engage in your new place. And there comes a time where you really want to have very close friends in the place where you live. And it's wonderful if you're in a place where you've got other missionaries that are that you connect with, that's fantastic. If you're part of a, a large group in a ministry or in a church, you will find um, those relationships, those meaningful relationships. But for some of you, you'll be a little more isolated and that will be a challenge. So I just encourage you to say, don't give up, 
keep fighting for those relationships in the place where you land. And, um, and also, you're going to need to keep probably, at least until you can make that real switch, you need to keep yourself connected to someone who's close to you that, um, while you're, well, that is living in the United States that you connect with on social media. So another thing that uh, can control, and that's a thing they call ruminating, kind of like cows, you know, chewing your cud. So it's kind of like chewing on those negative thoughts. So there's going to be negative thoughts, believe me, when you get into a new culture, there just are. They're just things that are frustrating, and, um, and those injustices that happen, all of that begins to be frustrating, and you review them over and over again. And the more you review them, the more they be just kind of become ingrained, and they just uh, ruminate just part of a drain for you. And um, so it's one of those forms, what we call gratuitous forms of negativity, those things that just kind of um, we allow ourselves to, to go there and stay there. And I just recommend that you, um, that you don't do it. When I worked at Williams-Sonoma, when we were stateside for a few years, um, we used to have occasionally, it wasn't every day, thank heavens, but we used to have some really horrible customers that would come in. And they were all entitled and they were demanding and they were ordering people around and horrible things, you know, it really behaved very badly. Well, what I found and what we began to discover is that what would happen is people that were busy with other customers would see what you were going through. They would watch, they would just kind of see and hear in the background what was going on. But they're attending to their customer and then they would come back and say, oh, I saw you with that person. How did that go? Are you okay? What was wrong? And so then you would tell the story all over again. Somebody else is now free with their customer and they come over and say, hey, I'm sorry, that went really bad. That sounded really awful. What happened? And you just relive it over and over again. And before long, you're in such a, you know, a negative state by just reciting that negative story. It was a truly negative story. It was an injustice. It was all of that. But if you keep telling it over and over and over again, it really doesn't help it to get better. So there's a certain amount of venting that's necessary, but when it turns into rumination, where we're kind of chewing on it, it's kind of time maybe to move on. So toxic, excuse me, toxic negative relationships. Sometimes you'll find that as an expat, you'll make friends with someone else who's from another country or whatever, and um, they can uh, be really negative on the culture where you live. Maybe they've been there longer, maybe they come in later, but they're just really, really negative and they're constantly complaining about the things that are different and frustrating for them and their injustices. And um, I would just really recommend if you find yourself with one, someone like that in your life, is that you would maybe agree with them to not spend more than 15 or 20 minutes um, saying, okay, we're gonna spend, no minutes venting about the things that are really frustrating the things that I just go insane with this language over and you know all of that just don't let it become a constant venting session all the time because if that's what it is you probably need to give yourself some distance because it will not help you uh, denial denial is one of those things that um, I think that is kind of sneaky um, we tend to, we can tend to, instead of dealing with things and taking them before God and reconciling them and moving on, we can just kind of, um, just ignore it. And those things are building up. Nope. I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm great. And, um, if we live in denial, 
uh, we just need to be able to acknowledge our reality, search for the meaning, continually improve, tell the truth to yourself. It's part of being a reflective practitioner, isn't it? That I look at myself and take a moment and say, wow, you know what? I am really getting worn down. Maybe I need a day off. Maybe I need a day with my spouse. Maybe I need a day with my family. Maybe you go sit in a, on a mountaintop somewhere all by myself, <laughs> whatever it is that you may need. But, um, but do try to be reflective. Watch yourself as you're going through, particularly going through transition. Um, the other thing we can control is blaming others. Um, that tends to uh, cause us to have more of a victim mindset. You know, it's, it's those Spaniards, it's those Catalans, it's those Greeks, it's wherever it is. And it's, you know, we can end up stuck instead of overcoming our part of it. What do I need to learn? How do I need to adjust? Um, and we can just become the victim. And that's not healthy for us either. I know we've talked about poor self-esteem in other um, venues, other moments, um, but it's kind of the question of who's holding the mirror. Um, you will ex and experience an assault to your self-esteem as you adjust to new culture. It, you just can't help it. Um, but if we enter into self-esteem and not be uh, standing as, as the one that Christ has loved, you know, I love that about um, Thomas Merton said, you know, who am I? I am one who is loved by Christ. I know who I am, who's made me worthy. I'm not worthy, but he's made me worthy. By knowing who we are in Christ and basing our self-esteem there, there's no one that can hold up a mirror that will undo that part of who we are. So with all of these draining things going on of our emotional resist, all our emotional resilience, so then how do we build them up? We know that that's this is probable. So um, experts are telling us this is what happens to us. So um, how do we build up our reserves? And it's going to be amazingly, amazingly uh, simple. It's a choice. And it takes lots of work. If we choose how we live on the inside, you know, um, Richard Dobbins used to say, nobody lives with the facts of their lives. They it, we live with the stories we tell ourselves about the facts of our lives. So we decide our own story. There are facts, there are things, there are injustices, but we're the one who decides to, what we say about that. And um, so it is a choice for us then. The glass really is both half full and half empty. We need both perspectives to be spiritually and psychologically resilient. So change ensures that we cannot remain the same. You know, our response to that change is up to us. Our mind and existing habits can create to a more positive or a future state. And it's work. It's self-analysis. It's that being taking the time to be self-reflective as we look at our new cultures, myths and values and beliefs and find our own way to fit and belong and changing our own typical negative assumptions and, and suspending our judgment, that's really hard. So learning new ways of coping and quieting our emotions and practicing. So we can sustain ourselves through any life transition by being gentle and genuinely caring for ourselves. We don't talk about that. I don't know, somehow in, in the American culture, 
there's not a lot, at least, you know, maybe I'm a little disconnected at this point, but um, being gentle and genuinely caring for oneself, um, <clears throat> it seems to be um, not as appreciated as pushing through and going forward and, you know, just suck it up buttercup, right? And instead, what we really need during this kind of a time in our life is to be really gentle, genuinely caring, giving in a little bit to the needs, the emotional needs that we have. We can, um, we can sustain ourselves by, uh, with a lot of positivity and humor. I mean, if you can laugh about the silliness, if you can laugh about the language mistakes, if you can laugh at yourself and laugh at the situations around you and, you know, look for ways to find the positive and then just laugh, it is the most amazing medicine ever. It truly, truly is. That's my favorite. If I can laugh and if it's so bad, go watch a funny movie because that will even just that laughter, just that good belly laughter is really help, healthy for you. So put on your lenses of gratitude, your empathy and compassion and don't take them off. As you look, as you begin to develop gratitude, thinking that way, it's changing the way we think sometimes and just being grateful for um, so many wonderful things that we experience, so many things that we're walking through. How many people would just give their eye teeth to be, um, you know, or a whole pot of money to be able to live the lives that God has privileged us to live? And uh, the empathy and compassion, let's, let's wear those, and that will help us as well. And recognize that we are fearfully and chemically made. And I, um, I used to joke with my doctor about that because it's so amazing that when we get chemically imbalanced, um, we do become really vulnerable to depression. We get vulnerable to um, um, emotional distress, anxiety, all of those kinds of things. Um, and it really is uh, annoying that all it, all it can be is a, is a chemical imbalance. And um, so it's really important. The brain needs serotonin. It just does. So what are the things that are going to feed that um, serotonin to your brain? Because you need it. And that will help keep you in balance. Some of that's going to be just eating well. These are things you all know. But when you're under a lot of stress and life is pressing you hard, um, you can begin to ignore some of the most basic things and they're the things that are actually going to help you emotionally as well as physically. You need to sleep well. If you don't sleep well, you live in a brain fog. And if you live in a brain fog, well, then your perception of life gets really distorted. Um, as well as, of course, physically, it's so hard on your body. And when you are sleep deprived, it makes it more difficult to make decisions to be able to function well. And then, um, then that becomes a cycle of uh, dissatisfaction. So make sure that you're getting um, enough sleep. After only a few nights of deprivation of deep sleep, most people begin to show signs of depression. That's only a few nights if you are deprived of sleep. All new parents know this. <laughs> and negative thoughts, erratic appetite, concentration loss, despondent mood. Man, deep sleep stimulates the production of that serotonin and other depressing fighting chemicals. It's really important to rest. And sleep is really your margin against the burnout. So do take care of yourself. Make sure that you're getting the hours that you need. So manage your margins and your boundaries. 
it's really um, know your limits and be reflective. Listen to your soul. You want to um, get at least 30 minutes of direct sunlight every day. Now, I know that sounds really crazy, but it's very serious. And for those of you who may be in northern climates, this is really going to be significant. And um, the, the being deprived of direct sunlight um, is, is very huge for the, the lack of serotonin in your brain. So get 30 minutes, take a walk, go to the market, but walk, get out in the sunlight. And even if it's cloudy, just get out there and get in the sun. And um, it really is something that is significant because again, we're talking about just the science of our brain, not just that, well, that's a good idea. It's like, no, actually my brain wants this and my brain needs this. It's, uh, it provides nutrients and triggers, again, that serotonin output. So we talked about being reflective. That's part of our emotional intelligence. Self-awareness of what we're feeling and why, um, and being able then to manage our emotions appropriately. It's important. We need to know when it's time to take a break. We need to know when it's time to step away from the cultural exposure for just a bit and kind of regroup. Sometimes, um, you know, if you're feeling overwhelmed, being able to be reflective and say, wow, what do I really need? I'm really feeling this, so what do I need? Do I need self-time? Do I need social time? Do I need prayer time? Do I need some chocolate? I think chocolate is one of the really good things you might need. Um, but family time, maybe a recovery day. And maybe you're one of those who withdraws too much and what you need is an encouragement to get out. The only way you're gonna know is to be self-reflective with uh, and together with God, really take a look and say, take inventory and say, wow, here I am, what, what do I really truly need? Be other-centered, that's social intelligence. The key lies in being able to read the feelings, emotions, and actions of others to help us to be able to know how to act and react in, uh, in a socially acceptable manner. And that's all new for us. So it does take a lot of focus and eventually it becomes background. But initially, it really is very foreground. And um, if we're thinking about other people and aware of their situations, um, it kind of keeps us from spiraling down the rabbit hole of it's all about me and how I feel in my transition. <laughs> and it makes us more available to our families as well and the people that God has called us to. This is a terrible thing. I hate to even write this word up here because I am so bad. Um, and that is about exercise. We Americans seem to be a society in neither one extreme or the other, right? We're either worship the body and we have this addiction to exercise and outward appearance or else, you know, we're kind of like the, the blimpy people on, you know, um, the movie Wally, -E, you know, the spaceship people who couldn't even get out of their chairs. Yeah, we're, we're kind of one to the other. But the balance of having some physical exercise has been proven to be so healthy for us emotionally and chemically. So I want to encourage you to find something you'd like to do and do it. If you're in a really um, going to be in a really rainy clim climate, if you're in Belgium, you get a lot of rain. In the UK, you get a lot of rain. Um, there are all kinds of places where you're just, you know, if, if you can get a gym where you can go swimming, whatever it is that you like to do, you runners out there, I just think you're fantastic. You're amazing. My family is all, I think I'm the only one in my family who does not run. So um, that's great because it just doesn't cost a lot of money and you get to see a lot of things and it gets you out. So find what works for you in your unique situation where you're going to be living 
and, um, and make sure that you have something to do, good weather or bad. And don't forget to play. I think that um, someone asked me recently about, um, they were asking people who had been in missions for a relatively long period of time, and they said, what are your regrets? And I think I would say one of my top regrets would be that we didn't play enough. We played, it's not that we didn't play, but I would say we didn't play enough and I would want to be a lot more intentional. I just know there were long stretches where there was not much play, where we were pretty focused. And our kids were in school from nine until five and had homework and then, you know, it was time for supper and bed. So, you know, there, there are rhythms that uh, sometimes feed the capacity to not play. And when you're a church planter, while well, weekends are really busy, that's the time when you're, you know, with your people. So it's really easy to let certain rhythms and cultural rhythms um, keep you from play. So sometimes you have to be very intentional. And I would really, really recommend find ways to play. And when it's bad weather, find crazy, insane games, things that will make you laugh, things that are fun to do together. Um, find ways to play together. It's very important. And attend to your significant relationships. If you have great friendships where you are, attend to those. Please do. That, that piece is so important. And if you have a spouse or a family with you, those relationships are critical. Attend to them. They are really important. And quite frankly, if those significant relationships go south, you won't be there. And that's, that's, that takes you out of the picture. So let's take care of you know, significant relationships. The work of God is never intended for us to throw our other commitments and our promises away. When we have children, we have um, marriage relationships, and we have deep friendships. It's not intended for us to throw everything away and only do the work. So attend to those relationships. That will add so much value to you and to them. Use stress management or relaxation techniques. Um, and that's going to be deep breathing. That's if you do yoga, if you do, you know, stretching things, whatever. Those are actually proven to work really well, too, in helping you to physically de-stress. I would say using centering prayer, using meditation, time with God that is not, um, it's more passive than active, if you know what I'm saying. It's passive because you're not doing, you're maybe just receiving, you're listening, you're centering yourself and being mindful of him. So those things are really, really helpful um, to help us just truly break away from the stresses that are in our lives. And I will say that, you know, attend, um, attend to your um, spiritual life. Uh, it, it's obviously criti critical or you find yourself ministering from an empty well. And that is the most stressful of all. So attend to your spiritual life. I will tell you that here in the mission field, um, what I call McDevos, those are just kind of quick, read a little bit of it, read a little bit, pray a little bit, and run, you know, those little uh, drive up Devos kind of, you know. Um, they'll not get you through transition well. They'll not get you through a missionary career very well either. So the whole point is that Jesus wants to walk with you every step of your journey. And he's the ultimate source of your insight, your compassion, your strength, your health, your joy, your humility. So attend to that. That's really super, super critical. I love this quote. It says that real leadership requires wholeness and invites wholeness in others. Anything less does nothing more than decorate the outside. 
without reordering the inside. And I think that's, that's we want to be able to minister um, out of wholeness. And we want to be able to lead out of wholeness. And if we don't model it, others also do not learn it. And it's really important to do a whole lot more than just um, decorate the outside and um, without reordering the inside. And God is, is so desirous of our relationship with him, so desirous of transformation, spiritual transformation. That's the cool thing about spiritual formation and transformation is that you can't do it. He does it. There are disciplines and things that order your life in a way that allow God to be able to do the work, but it's him that does the work. And so that way we get reordered on the inside and that makes us whole. Um, if we're going to lead others into the, that abundant life with Christ, we have to live it in our bodies and our emotions, our souls and our spirits. This chaos of cross-cultural transition, we're being given an opportunity for growth because this all of doing, taking, be mindful of all these things is probably not all on our agenda every day. So it's going to give us an opportunity for growth and for reordering our souls. And God has called us to walk this path of change with him. And so very few, you know, just can even dream of such an invitation. It's such a wonderful thing. I just, uh, I'm so, I mean, let me just kind of close this off here. I'd like to be seeing your faces a little bit if I can. Some of you have um, actually lived abroad and you have already made this kind of a transition before. And I'd really love to hear from you about, um, I would love to hear from you about what you are, um, have experienced and what you've learned about if you've learned something particular that you felt was helpful in and staying healthy emotionally, we'd love to hear it. I'd love to share. Good. Yeah, because that in Glasgow, it's way up north on the planet. And so in the winter, it gets so dark. And just getting outside during the sunshine bit of the day makes makes a huge difference. It's a, it's a real thing. If I would have continued to stay up there, I would have bought one of those lamps, no matter how expensive it is because it's whatever you call those, it makes mm -hmm. a difference. For me, um, super long walks, man, that made a huge difference. And for my, at least my personality, it just brought me peace and calmed me way down and that I was more collected human being to deal, you know, city streets or, or parks, it doesn't matter, but mm -hmm. you know, walk, that was my thing. Yeah. Excellent. And this sense of home, I totally grasp what you were saying, because I don't know where I'd heard it, but there is this song, I think it was in the 90s, something about, I'm I'm just like a bird, I, I'll only fly away, I don't know where my home is. And the enemy would really pester me with that song, like, you don't know where your home is, because I've moved all my life. And it's that pick, 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 pick. And finally, I'm just having to... Home is where I hang my hat. The Lord is with me. I always dedicate wherever I live to the Lord. This is home. This is home now. So anyway, that's my share. Good. Thanks, Crystal. I really appreciate it. Anybody else want to dive in? Anything else that kind of piqued you and said, yeah, that's, th that's me, or that's something I can identify with? 
Did we lose everybody? Hey, Dana. Yeah. Hey, sorry, I can't turn on my, my stuff. I've got kids running around like crazy all around here. But anyway, I do have some time to just kind of chime in. Uh, when you were talking about um, just kind of priorities and burnout and things like that, uh, when we first got started where we are in Germany, there was just um, the church that, that we work with is really driven. And I, I think that we felt this, um, I don't know if it was this need to make ourselves look good or if it was just, I don't know what it compelled, uh, what it was that compelled us, but um, we bit off so much more now looking back at it, so much more than we could chew, just try to keep up and try to, I guess, have a good face around everybody. And uh, we wound up living in the same building where the school was, the church was, our apartment was above that, my office was there. There was so much work that was going on. And I remember at one point I had to start calling people and going, listen, I cannot run that small group anymore. Uh, I cannot come to this prayer meeting. I cannot. And it was about a year into it. And, and we just sat there going, you know what? We have overextended ourselves. And if we don't start making some cuts now, it's just going to it's just going to kill us. So I would just kind of throw out there when you get started, you may have some pressure from the national church to do and be involved in as much. Um, or over as much as what you think is physically possible and to pump the brakes a little bit and see what's, what is realistic for your family and not try to fit your family into this chaos, but try to fit all that ministry into what's going to be healthy for your family at that time and transition that you're going through. That's really, that's really good advice. I think that, you know, we want to be pleasing, right? We go in and, and we want to serve God's called us. And um, there is that kind of sense of, Woohoo, there's new help on the horizon right here. And now they're here. So let's hand them 17 things that we don't want to do. And <laughs> we need the help because they do. They genuinely need it. Um, but somehow they managed before you got there, right? So it's a matter of finding, you know, the balance of being able to serve. And you just, and I think that's really good advice there too, is just, you know, Austin, is just that whole thing of let's do this a little at a time. Let's and see how that goes because we're also going to be initially most of you are going to be doing some language you're going to be doing some other things as well that will be really very consuming consuming energy wise and emotion wise and all of that kind of good stuff so um, we can always take on more but it is harder once you've taken it to let to turn it over to get someone else to come in and, and then you feel really then, then the guilt really piles up doesn't it when you have to say no you have to give it back so good word, start slow, and then you can always add. Anybody else have something they'd like to share? Because I know a bunch of you have lived abroad already, so um, you've done this. But anything that was particularly helpful for you in um, maintaining your emotional health? Hey guys. All right. Yep. I guess I'll chime in. Um, yeah, for us, it's, it's you know, hobbies. Like for me, just playing guitar, that's something that gives me peace of mind. Katie loves to paint, so she'd paint. It's just finding stuff to do. Like for our kids, we lived hours from the theater, but make the drive, stay the night, and go to the movies. Just something to keep our sanity and 
for ourselves and for our family you now going through your list of things today is like so much of that just makes sense you know we we uh when we first moved to kenya we lived there was like one other missionary couple that was the end of a four-year term and they were like so burnt out and negative so we've had those negative relationships we've had you know those things and you have to be able to uh take care of yourself so makes sense enjoyed it good 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 it's there's nothing out of this world that I had to say that's just like really wow I've never heard that before in my life and yet it is what we have to be able to apply in order to stay healthy that's the that's the thing <laughs> totally so, thanks Chris that's awesome no worries all right anybody else so we'll turn it back to Shannon and have her have her close us out Um, that thing that you said about play, when, when my family and I were, were missionaries in Hungary, there was a new coin that came out that was different and the inside was gold and the outside was silver and they, my parents made a game out of it and we collected those and then when we had a certain amount, like we had a whole jar, then we took a hooky weekend and we skipped church and we went somewhere as a family and we used only those coins to pay, which was hilarious. Um, but so finding something specific to the culture, so it was still, you know, about where we were and and playing and watching my dad pay with a bag of coins for hotel stay was pretty awesome. So finding, I, th I thought what you said about play was really good. Good, good. It's, it just makes it a lot more fun. You know, it doesn't all have to be all serious. We work so hard, we pray, we agonize, we do all of that, but play is so important, so important. Thanks. That's awesome. Very good. Thank you, Dana. This is a this is a great session, guys. I know I I commented a little bit in the chat because it really resonated with me and um, such such great advice. And I um, you know I'm I was in Belgium for 13 years and then moved to the UK and that was a a big switch in many ways. Not uh, I mean, I had moved from Cambodia to Europe, and that was a big culture shock. But I was young when I moved from uh, Cambodia to Belgium, and I realized that I just said yes to everything. And I really, I think I've, I've grown up in missions. So I was 22 when I first went out, um, and I really believed, and it was reinforced by uh, other missionaries, that you're supposed to just say yes to everything, that it's actually disobedient to God if you don't. And I just would like to say, please don't believe that um, because you know yourself, you, you are coming to know who you are and that will evolve and change as you, as you age, as you mature, as you get experience in missions. But truly it's don't be sucked into a guilt trip in missions, whether that's on the fundraising side of things or when you hit the field and everyone will have, there are a million things to do. Trust me, there are a million things to do. There will never be a lack of opportunity for you. But through this process, you are finding out what is God asking you to do. And, and you, you've heard certain things so far that God is speaking to you about. Hold on to those things. But don't um, uh, also be willing to hear some of the other things that God is speaking and he will use other people to speak through those. But take time. You're there for a career. And if I can say anything at all, just to tag on to Dana, you're there for a career. You don't have to do it all at once 
or all in your first term or all in your first and second term just so you have things to say in a newsletter or to supporters. Um, you, we want you healthy. We want you to end healthy. At whatever point you end, we want you to end healthy. So as you, if you start hearing nagging feelings and feeling guilt or pressure, that you have to say yes to everything, really take time and step back. And, and I, I would even, you know, as a single person, I think I had a different um, viewpoint on that too, thinking I had all the time in the world. So I would work you know, 12, 15 hour days. And uh, I finally came to a point where I said no more. It was not healthy for me. It was not good for me. I'm a person I need, you know, I, I'm a, I'm more of an introvert than an extrovert. And I may wake up early in the mornings, but I, I need sleep. Um, and just learn those things as soon as possible about yourself and, uh, and represent yourself well you know, speak up for yourself well and all that. So, so just to tag on Dana, this is a great emotional resilience will keep you there. And God is guiding you. This is a spiritual exercise. It is a true spiritual exercise. So thank you, Dana, for reminding us of the importance of emotional resilience and such good stuff, guys. And I hope that um, you have benefited from this today. Again, be sure and go onto your Facebook group page. If you've got questions, want to interact with this topic, Dana is following that. So be sure to, to interact on that, on that platform and talk about some of these things. That's a great environment in which to do that. But, uh, we are here for you and we believe in you. We believe in all the things that God is doing in and through you. And so much. So we're ending early today. What's this about Dana? Wow. <laughs> So, um, before we do, does anyone have any other questions, anything else uh, that you wanted to mention? Anything? Uh, we will be praying for all the district councils uh, that are coming up and opportunities there. We want you to know, though, we are planning for our next session to be on the 28th of April. Uh, if there's any big conflicts, let us know about that. We're flexible, but that work, that day does work, and I hope it can work for you. But, of course, if you're not able to be there, we will put it up on a podcast, and we'll get it to you a little quicker. I'm going to work on this one today and get it uploaded for you. Um, but also go back through that archive of podcasts, and those are some things that we recorded last year. You'll hear some different things from area directors and some of it may be a little older information, but still quality time. We know you're on the road a lot. So if you want to listen to uh, some of your colleagues and some other things, you, I think you'll find some gold uh, in that, in those sessions. So Dana, anything else from you? Nope. That's it for today. Okay. Thank you everyone for being here. Uh, God bless you. We're praying for you. If you need anything, be sure to email us, let us know. Okay. So thank you. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to this edition of Candidate Community. Be sure and check out other podcast episodes from your admissions on this channel. God bless and have a great day.